Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and I'm here today with my guest co-host, not my guest, with my regular <laughs> co-host, yes. Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello, hello, everyone. Yes. And we are here to record another of these faculty meeting redux, redos, reimaginings, reinventions. I don't know, some other R 2. words. 2.0. 2.0. And this is, I think, is what, 145? Yes. And we're looking back at Dungeon Talk episode six. six. All right. So, Tom, buddy, how are you, sir? I'm doing doing pretty good, you know? I kind of mentioned on the last episode, got to uh, play with my home group. So, life is starting to slow down again. It got busy for a little bit. So, yeah. No, doing good. Yourself? I'm doing well as well. Very busy. Uh, there's my kids this summer are in so many different projects and programs and this, that, and the other, uh, that it's just, I, I, I don't think I could do this if I had a job, Yeah, I, which just means they probably wouldn't be doing all these activities, but it's nice. Uh, you know, we do swim Monday through Friday, get up every morning and go to a swim practice. Uh, Jacob's now in his second soccer camp. So he's been doing that. He's big into, into soccer. He played baseball at the end of the, I guess, spring and going into summer. Uh, I signed him up for an RPG camp. Yes. So we, pl- okay. we played our first edition, first session of Pathfinder 2E yesterday online. It was interesting. Okay. Uh, but the rest of the meets are going to be in person. And I think that's going to be a better environment for this particular group. Uh, but they had fun. They they enjoyed it. And they got to meet some new kids they hadn't played with. They, this is the first time they've ever played without me being the dungeon master. Uh, so I'm excited about it. You know, even though Pathfinder isn't necessarily my flavor du jour of uh, of games uh they seem to have a good time okay. and the person running it wants them to have fun and that that's a big part okay. so busy 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 but cool okay i so i expect you to s- subtly be like giving them like rpg academy merch so that these kids are starting to like you know like it's like starting to get into their head you know we have to yeah. start to build up that future audience you know i'm gonna just be like oh i dropped this flyer here for a catacomb so weird i had that in my pocket did you know that i you know just i'm gonna find a way to bring it up in every, every conversation. conversation that's fantastic yeah. okay all right so with that let's uh let's dig into the show a little bit here uh but before we get to the meat and the potatoes we always like to take a moment to talk about why we're here and the hope is that through the conversation that Tom and I are about to have, there will be something, some nugget of wisdom that you, the listener, can pull out and apply at your table and your games and make them more fun for you and for your players. But we understand that the advice we share and the opinions we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or addition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. As long as you're having a good time and all the players at your table are having a good time, doing it right. All right. So with that out of the way, Tom, take it over, sir. Okay. Yeah, I'm just with that that saying there, Michael. I'm going through these old episodes. You haven't said it yet. I'm waiting for the time, that episode, when you finally figure out that that is the motto. So I'm looking forward it's- to it's coming soon. Okay. It was pretty early. Okay, I'll, I'll get to it, and that's that'll be our episode. Like, why did you come up with that motto? Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So, let's first talk about uh, get this out of the way. Uh, there is probably right now in your podcast feed a whole little bonus episode about 
a catacon all right if not though if you haven't listened to that uh let's we'll just cover some very from some very basics but go listen to that for some more details but the kickstarter for a catacon is a go all right a catacon will be happening in november so michael can you give us those kickstarter dates and then also the dates of the convention yep so the kickstarter runs from july 1st to july 21st and i believe that this episode should come out the last week of that so this is going to come out within just a couple days of an oh, ending. Yes. So by the time you're hearing this, I have already pulled out all of my hair or have popped the cork on the champagne that I actually don't drink alcohol. So I guess water, maybe <laughs> water. flavored water. Okay, there you go. Um, in celebration. But if if not, you can still come get a badge or just, you know, again, sponsorships and donations are clearly welcome. The actual event will be in November 5th, 6th, and 7th in Dayton, Ohio at the Dayton Convention Center. You can get badges and stuff after the Kickstarter, so if you don't know what the world's going to look like in November and you want to wait till like maybe October to decide if you're coming, totally fine. As long as we fund the Kickstarter, then you can get your badges basically even at the door. You can just show up and buy it at the door if you'd like. Yeah, so it's, it's super exciting stuff for real. I mean, obviously 2020 was weird, but I definitely felt like not having a catacon kind of just threw a wrench into like my gaming life. It's always kind of this moment that we all look forward to, especially like within the podcast. And it's just having it out there is just kind of like, what's what's going on? Just so it'll be some sense of um, normal. But we're still a lot of this stuff is obviously with the world we live in. Lot, we're working it out. Uh, we, we're, we've got a solid plan in place, but there are still details that need to be ironed out. Yep. And if, just join the Discord because I'm very transparent there. So about, transparent. Probably more so. Uh, so if you have any questions about what's going on, just go there and you will you will be part of every pro- decision-making process I have. Oh, that's – yeah. Okay. Uh, so then after after that, let's talk about news this week. And it's kind of a slow news week. Uh, there really wasn't anything – big there was a lot of uh uh some 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 negativity with some some i'm not going to talk all about this stuff with some old school stuff coming up because i don't want to put a shine a spotlight on that but uh uh so that kind of like that's really that whole situation really did suck the air out of the room so uh there's really there's really not a whole lot uh, going on i think the big thing that i saw uh right now is obviously the big magic the gathering forgotten realms crossover is about to take place which i'm not a magic person i'm not a forgotten realms person so that's not my wheelhouse but if that's yours then i'm sure you can pick that up at your friendly local game store uh but i even i i i tried hard to find something that i'm like oh our listeners need to know this but i just couldn't find anything uh, so the only thing I will mention that was just somewhat tangentially connected is, um, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to Gen Con. So I have, I bought my badge. I did not, they're still apparently determining if I get a press badge this year. Uh, they haven't said yes yet. Usually by this point they would have. So I'm assuming no, but I bought my own and I have uh, got an Airbnb for the week. Um, again, I can, I can cancel this if I need to, but I, I hope, hopefully I'm going, but what I'm trying to get to is that the event listing comes out July 2nd, I believe. And then registration is like around the 15th. Uh, so I'm going to look at the event registration, see what's available, see what I get into. And if I look like I'm going to have enough fun, like I have enough things that keep me occupied, then I'm going to go ahead and go. If not, I'll decide by then and cancel. Uh, so if you're going to be at Gen Con, I'll, probably will be there and i'd love to you know meet up i love meeting people who listen to the show almost every year when i go someone overhears my voice and says hey aren't you mike 
which is just makes my day. I yeah. absolutely love it when that happens. Uh, I've got one person we're going to talk about maybe doing an Action 12 Cinema play test. It's with a someone that was on the podcast recently for detention. They run their own uh, actual podcast, The Game Night Heroes. Uh, so I think we're going to try to do that there. But I'm always open, especially because I'm going to be solo. I don't. No one else from the from the podcast is going this year. So I I don't have my normal after hours hanging out at the hotel to two o'clock playing games, which is some of the most fun I have there. So I'm going to be a little bit more of a free spirit, a, a was a free safety, be able to roam around and just be where I need to be. So say hi. I think it'll be interesting too. I think it'll get you out of your get you kind of out of your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, well, I, I look forward to hearing about your Gen Con experience. There will definitely be a recap episode. Yeah. Um, one way or the other so yeah okay well then let's jump into all right we this can be as long or as short as you want but you we got any action 12 cinema update uh so i have not done anything active since the last time it's still in tracy's hand tracy's still very busy oh with yeah being for sure a new parent so uh i'm not putting any pressure on them and you know they told me when they thought they'd get to it we're just not there yet but i so i went and saw fast nine okay it's and, not hold on let me correct you it's not fast nine it's F9. F9. Get it right. F9. I think it's F9. The Fast Saga. Fast Saga. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and again, I, I've told you, I think I mentioned before, those movies are nonsense. They are absolute nonsense. But I, but I have learned that if I approach them as this is like a role-playing game session, that they're a lot more fun. And there absolutely is. That's the sort of thing that would happen in a role-playing game. It's not realistic at all, but it's like RPG realistic right and i kept the whole time i was watching him like could i make this happen in action 12 cinema like this is like a touchstone for is could i'm could we model this movie in action 12 cinema and for the most part yes you can which makes me really happy but one thing i've realized that i'm missing that i need to you know look at is there's no MacGuffin currently in the game and that's almost ever present in an action movie there's always a MacGuffin somewhere, you know, the thing or the person that you're after or the thing or the person that's chasing you. And we have things for determining like a random plot. We have things for determining a random bad guy. Uh, so I think those elements are in there, but I, I do think we need to clearly spell out like, what is the MacGuffin? Okay. Uh, whether that's just narratively, like when you're creating things, we know that this is what's going on. So it's just decide. Or do I want to make another D12 table where you roll and it tells you what it is? But I think that's one thing that was kind of missing is the MacGuffinness of it all. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the MacGuffin in Fast and Furious is always family. So, um, no, I, I yeah, yeah, all right. So, yeah, Action 12 Cinemas, you know, uh, inspired by F9. Okay, all right. So, uh, yeah, all right, Action 12 Cinema update. Yep. There you go. All right, so let's take a moment and jump it over to Grant with this week's DMs Guild Spotlight. Hey all, Grant here with another DMs Guild Spotlight. I want to tell you about a product that I use in both of my ongoing 5e campaigns that I, as a busy DM, really love. The product this week is Traders and Merchants, Inventories for 30 Different Types of Merchants by Warlock Homebrew. I bought this product for $12.99, and I use it extensively in my prep for a part of D&D that I dread the most, which is shopping sessions. So this product has really good layout, nice art, and really, really readable tables, which is super important. But let's get to the meat and potatoes of this product. We have a, first off, we have a quantified system for bartering and the results, which is percent off. So if your players like to barter with merchants, there's a nice, elegant system for that. 
Uh, there are tables also for giving your shopkeepers unique personalities. So you can roll for, for how they behave, how they act, and if they have any interesting quirks about them. And then the big meat and potatoes is tables for develop or determining the type and quality of a merchant's wares. So we have wildly varied items for sales from just pure flavor merchants that sell interior decor to magical tattoo artists to spellcasters willing to tell, sell their services. All items are given a brief description, and if you need more info, there is a page number citation and source book for where you can find the item. And this ranges items from the DMG all the way up to the newest release of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and Icewind Dale. It does include some items made for this book alone, uh, magic and mundane items. Price lists use fixed prices for mundane to magical items, so there's no more looking up tables and trying to figure out how much an item costs in the DMG or in Xanathar's, uh, which frees up a lot of time. Uh, and then each merchant is given quantities of those items for sale uh, for flavor and balance purposes. There's even types of legendary merchants, for example, uh, fairies and fey folk looking to make deals that don't involve gold, which is interesting. So this is for DMs that need inspiration for their merchants. Those that want to offload the prep for shopping sessions, which I'll level with you, I absolutely detest as a DM. I find them incredibly boring and hard to plan for. And this simply just remedies that uh, whole problem that I have. It is probably one of my favorite products that I've come across. And it gives all those players something to spend all of their precious gold on. Uh, there's a little tip. Uh, if you don't like having a lot of magic items in your game, you can simply leave them off of the merchant's inventories and just have them sell mundane things. And the mundane things in this are flavorful. Uh, they range from things like different types of alcohol to, like I said, different types of interior decor and just general other flavorful things. So how I use this product which may vary from person to person, but I tell my players what merchant is available and their respective quality, and send them this PDF so that they can do their shopping out of game to speed things up. And it works really well. Uh, but if you want to spend more time in your shopping sessions, and if you're willing and wanting to roleplay those shopping sessions, this book also has you very well covered. So again, this is Traders and Merchants, Inventory for 30 Different Types of Merchants by Warlock Homebrew. The link to this product will be available in the show notes. And this has been Grant for the RPG Academy with DM's Guild Spotlight. If you have any products on the guild that you think we should know about, message or tweet me at the underscore Foxblade on Twitter. Alright, thank you so much for doing that, Grant. I really appreciate it. And as always, a reminder, if you use our links to check out any of the products that Grant has mentioned now or in the past, and you purchase a copy, not only do you support the creator, but we get a very small percentage uh, for sending you over there. So please consider using our links. And if you're just an avid shopper of the DMs Guild or um, RPG, Drive-Thru RPG, you can just use our link every single time. Just go to our website, click our link, and then shop away, and we get a small percentage, uh, which is kind of funny because Grant pretty much is the only one who does that right now. So uh, any of the money we've made 
from Drive Through RPG lately has been from Grant, which is part of the reason why we, we got him to do this because he's already doing it anyways. He's just making it official. Uh, but thank you, Grant, for doing that. Okay, so here we go. We're going to jump into revisiting Dungeon Talk episode six, which was called The College Years. Yeah. I have not listened to this recently. Tom, you have. Okay, okay. so the the context here was you and Evan were sitting down and you were talking about what you would consider like the best era, all right, of playing in this circumstance Dungeons and Dragons, all right? So at the time, you had basically considered, you had basically like four eras, all right? You had when Michael was a 12-year-old, snot-nosed kid living in kentucky all right that was one era then you had your college era then you had your cleveland group era and then you had your kind of your current where you and evan were currently at but out of that you said that out of all of that time frame when you were in college that was like the best role-playing in dungeons and dragons experience that you ever had that period in your life so just to kind of talk about that michael why at the at that time why do you think your college years were the best time for playing games for you so again i have not listened to that episode in a while but my my guess here is that it was because of the time like i remember those college years fondly playing you know D. we would just play like for a full weekend and you know we lived in a dorm and we were, everybody was together so we could just like hey let's play tonight and we would play these long sessions and then go out like to taco bell at three o'clock in the morning or order a pizza and you know and then you know now and i'm sure at the time i was talking about you know married kids job it's so hard to find time and you're lucky to get three or four hours in for a full session and i think just that freedom of having so much time and sort of I also eye-opening like I grew up in a very small rural town going to college even though I went to college in Kentucky it wasn't like I moved to the metropolis or anything but it was it was an eye-opening experience to be around so many different people and you know becoming friends with them and playing games with them it was just a formative part of my life and I still look back very fondly on my college experiences but I will you know I'll just not bury the lead I don't think that's what I would say now. In fact, I know it's not what I will say now. Oh, okay. Well, before we talk about that, because at the time, that's obviously, like, we're going back, what was, I don't even know, when was when was Dungeon Talk? How many years ago are we talking? It's we're it's between nine and ten years ago, okay. so probably nine years ago. Okay, so we're going back, so nine years ago, you, were, you would say, like, college years were the best time. All right, so what you said back then was what you just said right now. It was, you guys had a lot of time, and then you all lived together. Or in the dorm. So, like, on a Saturday, you all would just play for eight hours, all right, at a time. And so it's like, that. that's wild to me, all right? So I never had that, all right? So, but what I want to... And the other thing you kind of you kind of talked about, too, was you had evolved as a dungeon master. You talked about how bad you were when you were 12 years... When you were, when you were a kid. The story that you talk about... When you were a kid, you talk about how you had wanted to introduce a dragon into your game for forever. All right. And uh, uh, and your party was they didn't really want to do it. They were first level. But you decided as kid Michael, like, too bad. You guys are doing going to fight a dragon. And then they didn't want to. And then finally, they just said, OK, we're going to do it. And then you just killed them. All right. So and that's not like and but then you talked about how that you weren't like that as a college in college you, you had grown and everything but when i want to ask you then so 
was there like a break then between playing as a kid and then college time? Uh, so I'm not sure what well, you mean. Like was a break there, did like... you stop playing games for a while then? Like in between? No, not really. I mean, I think when I got into high school, uh, we stopped playing as much. It was something that we still did, but it wasn't as big of a part of our life. You know, again, cars, girls, you know, all that stuff becomes more important. At least it did for me. Um, so I, you know, I spent, I had girlfriends, so I spent a lot of my weekends with them. And so it became, we played a lot less, but we still, I can, I never like stopped playing gotcha. completely. And then when I got to college, um, you know, I, I went with, uh, my roommate, my freshman year, because I was one year older than all of my other buddies, Brandon, Bill, and Joe. I was a year old, or I was a year ahead. I think Joe got held back a year. Whatever, doesn't matter. So I was I was in college before them, and so I basically was there. I had I knew my roommate. Uh, he was one of the instructors in my martial arts class that I that I took in in high school, and he was a big gamer. So he played all the time, and so I kind of got sucked into his group. So he kind of helped formulate that my first you know initial foray into college level gaming and then my sophomore year brandon came, went to the same school i did and he was across the hall we got on the same dorm same floor so literally my best friend uh also my big you know, role-playing game buddy literally i could open my door and look into his room if his door was open and so we you know we started again we started you know, gravitating and started playing together and he had people that he met. And so it just became a big thing. So I think to answer your question, there was never a complete stoppage, gotcha. but there was an ebb and flow of how much and how important it was to me. Gotcha. I, this just kind of screams to me like, um, very much, uh, like a very kind of generic, like a this is like a plot of a movie like just a movie that gets pumped out in the summer you know the 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 middle-aged guy goes travels the country finds his college rpg group for one final game kind of thing like mm. like that's a plot just waiting to happen i would you yeah. would you, would you would you want to play with this group again at some point like if you had a chance i, I know i just put you on the spot with this question but like do you think if you could so here's the thing yes i would but it probably wouldn't be any fun. But I would do it because of the nostalgia. And, you know, maybe it'd be great. But looking back on those games... See, it's funny. Is I look back on the games in college now, the way I probably looked back at those those games as a, uh, you know, as a kid, as I did in the first episode, because they weren't great. Yeah. It was, it was fun. And hanging out with my friends was fun. But when I think about the game specifically... I still wasn't that great of a dungeon master. I'm a much better dungeon master now than I was then. And they weren't the best players. There was still a lot of, you know, selfishness and ego and people like wanting their way over someone else's way. And and part of this is probably because I, I listened in when my kids played because with the first game of their Pathfinder summer camp thing uh, was online. So I was listening in. I was, you know, I was there even though I, I just, I tried to help a little bit, like ask Jakey questions and tell him which die to roll, but I really wasn't involved. But listening to all these kids play, it was it was kind of grating in oh, a way yeah. because they're doing all the things that I can't stand now as an adult where like one character wanted to do a thing, but another character didn't want them to do that thing. So they then became like antagonistic <laughs> against each other and the story stop, goes to a dead halt. And I know the, the dungeon master is not going to let them kill one another. But he did let them fight one another. Like, we had opposed roles. Like, one character wanted to do a thing. Another one was trying to, like, slap something out of their hands. 
And it's like, I do not like that at all as a dungeon master. I want us all to be big, happy family, hashtag family, and just like, inter, you know, in, um, interact with the world as a cohesive unit. Every now and then you can have a little inter-party conflict, but it should be minor. I don't like rolling against each other. And it was, you know, people didn't quite, quite understand what people were saying or doing. So there's just a lot of misunderstanding. And it was just like, I look back at the games I ran in college and that's how still a lot of them were. People were, no, it's my way. No, it's your way. And I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So then thinking about it. So nine years ago, you said college years was the kind of the greatest time of role-playing games. So now today, all right, retrospective, what is now you think your greatest era of role-playing games and what's changed in the last nine years? So the the big caveat there is I still would love to have the time that I had in college and the easy access to the friends and players that I had in college. But I'm going to say that now is the best time that I have because I'm so much more prepared and just competent and confident as a game master that I don't get to play nearly as much. But when I do play, it's almost always fun. Yeah. And it's not just fun because I'm hanging out with people I know and like. That's part of it. But the game is fun. And before, looking back on it, it was more about the people I was with. I had fun hanging out with my friends, telling goofy stories in grade school and high school. I had fun in college hanging out with my friends from the social aspect. Now, the game itself is a lot more fun. And I think that's why I would say now is that. And I'm pretty sure that episode six was pre-Acaticon. So I didn't have any of my catacomb stuff. And I think that is such a huge part of me and, and my life, my gamer uh, you know, life, that I think the catacomb era has to be the best era. Yeah. Okay. Because it's interesting, too, because if you go back and listen to those early episodes, it's, it is. It's very much you and Evan and a few other local friends kind of living on your own RPG island. And now you look at today, and we do have so many different connections and so many, so many friends who play games. And... We have to, I was thinking about this, and you. we have to be so much more efficient with our games now. We don't have a lot of time. And there is, it's fun to hang out with friends, but that's fun. But it's also really fun to enjoy the game. And because we're all, everybody I'm playing with personally is like, same, I'm, we're all focused in the game. Everybody's invested in it. And so, yeah, we can, we can have some of the best two to three hour sessions ever. There's, there's just a maturity that comes with, um the game that you know there's there's something to be said for that childlike wonder of the first time your character fights a goblin and you and another player end up fighting each other and not the goblin because of some stupid understanding there there's a there's something about that that's lovely but as a 45 soon to be 46 year old man who has kids and responsibilities but loves to game i do really enjoy that when i sit down to play a game now it's almost always focused uh and it's the game itself that is fun and i still enjoy hanging out with other people i enjoy meeting new people and playing out with you know playing with old people i know are not old but uh, acquaintances already friends already but yeah it's just different now and i think it's more enjoyable I, if i could go back and teach my 12 14 year old self like how i ran games now that would be a complete waste of time travel technology. But be interesting. <laughs> yeah, they would probably say like, "Get out of here!" Oh, uh, they. Oh no, that's 
this is so meta. That's how you got the saying. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Your 12 year old self was like, "Hey, if you're old man, if you're if we're ha- we're having fun, we're doing it right now. Get out, right, get out, exactly. scram. You're, you're, you're doing it wrong, kid. Uh, having fun. Get out. Of here. Oh my word. So for me personally, I started playing. Uh, games with 5th edition. I didn't play next. 5th mm-hmm. edition came out. So for me, I've got two eras that I would consider. Alright? This is knowing nothing about RPGs and playing just Dungeons and Dragons. To me, that was RPGs. I'm like, that's it. And then, uh, then I would say the next era was joining the RPG Academy as faculty. Uh, right at that time, I'd started to learn about other games, and then I joined the faculty and started co-hosting the show with you and then my breadth of knowledge expanded and i was then able to find games and discover all these new games that better fit what i wanted to have at the table so i think now we really enjoyed the we did year-long campaigns with the maps and minis and that was a blast but it was a little bit different it was kind of like what you were describing i had fun hanging out with my friends at my apartment at the time now it's I really enjoy the stories that I'm telling with them because we're doing more narrative games and it's completely different. It's previously was tactical game, more tactical rules really focused. And now we're just, it's a lot more storytelling and narrative stuff. And that this is the era that I'm in right now. And I'm, I'm loving it. So right now for me, that that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking is going to be looking back the most memorable games. So I guess then to kind of close this out for you, what makes an RPG experience memorable? And it's going to sound weird to say this, but it's the people that you're there with. But I think there's like this weird synergy thing that can happen where if it's a game that you enjoy, the people are people you enjoy. And the, the story that you create there is this perfect little, you know, encapsulation encapsulation of, that moment it's like a little perfect little bubble and you know the people are great the story is great the game is fun and you know there are memories that you have that you know i don't like i can't have perfect memory recall of every game i've ever played but when i think back to some of my favorite memories many of them are moments from various games across this time and space i can i can remember right now very clearly specific moments I had playing D and D in my garage with my kids in, or my kids with my friends in grade school. I have specific memories of some of my college games. I have specific memories of my Cleveland group. I have specific memories of the games I played with Evan and I have specific, specific memories of games I played at Gen Con and origins and a catacon. And those are just perfect little memories. And, you know, sometimes the memories like are something that went wrong, but, is memorable, but for the most part, it's the laughs we had at the table. It's the unbelievable. Everyone stands up because that this role is the most important role, and you you succeed, and you know it's like amazing. You get a twenty, or you roll terrible, and everybody's like, "Oh no!" But it's that sort of that shared investment, uh, and everyone's connected on this weird sort of metaphysical level for a moment when we're all playing pretend wizards and elves and dragons or cyberpunk or whatever. And I, don't know, I just I get lost in that and just I, I don't think I'm explaining it well, but it's it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You said that back then, too. You said it was because of the people and the experience. And I totally agree with that. For me, it's it's a little bit it's the people. But for me, I'm going to drill down a little bit further and be more granular. For me, it's when you're with your friends and everybody is on the exact same wavelength. So it's 
It's when I'm telling a story as the game master and my players, they get it. Like they know where I'm going with this. And then they start to add to it and they start to change things a little bit. And then I'm like, oh, I see where you're going. And then I start to, and we're all just kind of on the same wavelength. And we start telling these great stories and not all sessions are going to hit that way. But at the sessions that do hit like that are just, those are the ones, those are the ones that I remember for sure. So we, I think, yeah. Just to put a button on it, and I think I've I've said this at some point somewhere, if not the episode you're talking about, episode six. But like when I first started playing, basically it was my friends, and we would play D and D together or role playing games together, and that's kind of the way it has always been up until again the podcast. The podcast really did change things because now it's the game that's bringing my friends together, mm-hmm. and I think that's a, and it's some of it's just like in the maturity level too. But there were even Brandon, Bill, and Joe. They didn't all like the game as much as I did because obviously I'm the only one who has a podcast and runs a convention now. I don't think any of them play at all anymore. But that, that it was a fun thing to do with us as a group, right? But now when I sit down and play games, I'm playing down with people who love to play these games, and they have now become my friends. Most of them, anyways. You know, if it's a convention, I don't remember about these, about these people. But still, if you go to a convention, you're a gamer, right? So. I think that's part of the difference is that when you're dealing with people who they're invested in the game as well as the shared experiences and camaraderie where for a long time it was just, this was a thing we did and I loved it and they thought it was okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And no, I, I totally get that. And it was just one of the things too, Evan kind of transitioned at this point and this is the part, like for him, the, what made the most, the games, the most memorable were the stories all right that you everybody was talking about and he said that one of the things that really made the stories like stand out was when you michael used descriptive language like descriptive terminology when you're at the table all right and to him that's what really like these cinematic scenes all right but this is the next topic then so but how do you how do you create the descriptive language at the table and describe scenes and combat and just the story in general in a way that people remember them. Cause it's, it's a, it's a lot more memorable if instead of I say just, Oh, you rolled a 18, uh, you get hit. It's a lot more memorable if I say, Oh, you rolled an 18. Uh, and then we, we go on to this, this like five minute conversation about what that looks like. Everybody kind of is engaged with that. So, but at the time, you said, and Evan kind of jokingly agreed, that you were not great at this, okay? Because you kept on stumbling over yourself because you didn't want to take away from the game time. You thought you giving yourself flowery descriptions and talking about the way things smelled or look was taking away from the time that you guys had to play. All right, so what I want to ask you then is before we talk about how to be more descriptive, so have you, do you think you've improved as far as like, being descriptive in your your role play as a game master and do you remember why you really struggled with it back then uh yes no and maybe okay so and and, and i know we talk about this in other places too but it's the same thing like when it comes to me like trying to draw a map and i don't remember what episode we talked about that at some point in time where i'm not good at drawing oh it's this episode it's this episode you talked about okay so then i would try to draw a map 
but it wasn't looking good. So then I just wanted to hurry up and get it done because I felt like everyone was waiting on me to finish the map. So I go faster and my bad map becomes even worse because I'm trying to do it fast. And then I get a really crappy map and then I just, I feel like I've wasted all that time. So I kind of feel the same way about the descriptive language that I don't want to take up so much time that the players are getting bored and they're starting to look at their character sheet or look at their phone or whatever the case may be. So I do think I've gotten better at managing the pace of when I'm going to do it, it's important. So I don't describe every attack in a lot of detail. I don't describe every, you know, first time you walk into a room with a ton of detail, but I will try to give it enough and I will try to use a lot of shared language like Game of Thrones is a big one. If you describe something, you say, well, it's kind of like Winterfell, but with orcs. Most people at your table probably knows what that means. It's like a shorthand for, oh. it's like this, it's like that. So I don't have to spend 15 minutes describing everything if I say it's like this, but that. If you know what this is, then we're probably 80% of the way there. Gotcha. But I definitely, and then probably the biggest thing that I've done is, again, now I resource the players a lot more. What does it look like when you roll that attack? What did it look like when that orc missed you? What did it? What do you think is interesting about this room you just walked into? I haven't described it at all yet. It, it's a big throne room. What's the first thing that stands out to you? And I let the players come up with those details. And then, you know, I fill in a few things if I need to. But I think that's made me a lot better at managing it if it's not, in fact, made me better at doing it, if that makes sense. It does. It's funny. That episode is one where you said that you were going to try this out. You said you were listening to an actual play podcast, and that's what they did. And so you said in that episode that you were going to try out asking the players then uh, and what they do when they hit. So it sounds like that was successful then. Yeah, I, definitely. I've completely. I mean, that's just like a standard thing for yeah. me now. I would always, you know, I never, I would never stop doing that if I can think of. It. I don't know, like if I got it from this podcast or is something I just started doing, but. I do that as well. And that was that's one of the things I think is super easy to make your games more engaging and feel more uh, cinematic and alive is to, when a player hits, ask them, ask them what it looks like. Uh, and uh, obviously within the bounds of reason, like uh, within their, within the fiction that you've created, what does that look like? And it doesn't, that doesn't need to be every time because I got players at my table who, they're not really into that. They'd rather me just tell them how cool they were. So that's right. super easy to do, though. Are there any other ways that we can be descriptive other than how, how do you, do you got any tips then, Michael, for what are some ways that we can be descriptive? Uh, well, a couple broad tips I would say is that like if you're if you're describing a room, probably give it no more than three descriptions, because, again, people will get bored. Maybe I'm just not a great speaker. Well, I know that I'm not, but I, maybe people get bored quicker with me than other people. But if you go on and on and on, you're going to eventually people will get bored. If you're listening to this now, you're probably already, you're already at there. Yeah. Right. Proof of concept. Right. So try to give two, three uh, descriptions, like don't spend a whole lot of time. And then I generally try to describe things like the most interesting thing in the room is what I will describe last. Because once I've described that, if I've done my job right, that's what you're thinking about and you're no longer listening to anything else. Uh, so so again, it's so like if you walk into a room and you're like, okay, so there's lava flowing from left to right. Uh, there's a wooden bridge that crosses it and it's creaking in the middle. And there's a giant orc charging you from the bridge, axe raised. 
if I started with the fact that the orc was charging you, none of the other stuff is going to, you're not going to even hear that because you're like, oh, we're going into combat. Where's my dice? Where's my character sheet? You know, what, what's going on? So I just, I set the scene and then I give to the thing that's most active. I didn't cover any smells. I didn't cover like, is it hot? Obviously there's lava. There's probably heat. Cause some of that, I feel like if I mentioned that there's lava, you probably assume that it's hot in this room. So I don't necessarily have to, but that's where, again, I'm not great at it. I don't always add in the smells and the sights and the feels as much as just what you see visually. So it's something I still need to work on, but two to three descriptions at most fill in stuff as you go. Like once you've got to the initiative, then you can go, okay, you know, as you grip your sword, the overwhelming heat from the lava, you're sweating, but the, you know, the worn leather grip, holds true as you swing this whatever so you can kind of fill in a little bit more of those details as you go rather than front loading like a 15 minute description of the room and every possible thing every single rock every single stalactite just say it's a it's a big room it's echoey and dark and the stalactites hanging from the ceiling then start the game and then as you go add in a little bit more detail the drips of the water uh you know a particular smell that kind of thing yeah the so one thing that I've done that's really helped me limit my descriptions is I've done this since day one. I remember my very first session. Uh, I get a lot of art online, all right? And I just, mm -hmm. I load it up on my iPad and I create a folder, all right, for it. And this is the art that I'm going to use for this session. So what I'll do then is whenever we do a scene transition or there's something I'm trying to describe, I'll show my pictures a piece of art. Right. And then what I'll do is I then don't have to describe everything. Then I give them the things that you can't describe visually. So I give them the the feelings that they are that, that they, they're feeling maybe a sense of dread or foreboding or this there's an exciting buzz in the air. And then I'll also give them smells. All right. But I use I cheat. It's like it's I cheat. I grab art. I do it in my for our Ghost of Salt Marsh game. I just throw up a I grab a bunch of art that I find. I throw it up on throw it up on the screen there for my players. And then in my home games, I just I like I said, I put it on my iPad. I show it up. I show it to them. I turn my iPad so that they can see the art there. And that's what I found. It has then made it so easy for me to describe scenes very simply and get my players engaged. Because yeah. if, if, if being descriptive, what we're trying to do there is we're trying to engage our players and immerse them in the game. As soon as we get to the point where we're describing so much that they are taken out of the game, like you said, just kind of fiddling with their character sheets or stacking dice or checking their phones because they're not engaged, that's when uh, you need to quit talking and let your players start actually interacting with the world. Yeah. Uh, I would say a couple things is that it doesn't matter if you and I have the exact same image in both of our heads. Yeah. It only matters if there's a crucial difference. Like, wait, I thought that ogre was dead. Or wait, I thought you said there was a bridge. Those are things that like, can break the immersion. But it doesn't actually matter if in my head there are two trees that are on either side of the bridge. And in your head, there are two rocks on either side of the bridge. Unless that becomes important, it's okay. So you don't have to have a perfect repl replication of my image in your head. It just has to be close enough that the game works. And I think that's a huge thing where you don't, again, don't spend so much time making sure you have every little detail. Just there's trees scattered around the grove. I don't have to tell you if there's three or if there's seven and, you know, these two are grouped together. There's just a smattering of trees. And in your head, you might vision this thing. And in my head, I might vision that thing. And unless it actually matters where there's a difference, then it doesn't matter. 
And most of the time, I'm just going to let your way be right. So like if you say, is there a tree nearby? Is there a rock laying here? Is there a chandelier in the room? Yes, of course there is, because that's the easiest way to go. And it's not going to violate anything. Uh, and then the biggest thing I would say about creative uh, cinematic combat that I have done is I've gotten away from the hits or hitses and misses or misses. Once I did that, and this is a very D&D yep. type of thing, but once I got away from that, I was able to describe battles so much more cinematically. And what I mean by that is when you roll to attack, if you get the number you need or higher, that results in damage done to the thing that you're trying to attack. That's what the rules say. But what that looks like can be anything that you want. So I could say that I swing my sword and the orc ducks out of the way, but in doing so, they crack their head on a door frame. As long as we say, okay, they're four hit points less, then we didn't violate any of the rules of the game. Or I could say that I rolled to attack but I, I, I rolled poorly, so I didn't do damage. I could say that I stabbed the orc with my sword, but it looks at me and smiles as it steps forward, further impaling itself on my blade to get closer to me. As long as we don't subtract hit points from the orc, it doesn't matter how we describe those things. So just feel free to play within the rounds of, did I do an attack that reduces damage or not? Yep. And then as long as you, you know... It doesn't really matter. Something like if my last blow kills the orc, it doesn't matter what it looks like as long as at the end of that moment they're dead. So maybe I pushed them off a cliff. Maybe I tied a rope around their neck and you know strangled them like uh, Thanos style. I think that happened in one of the movies. I don't know. Um, just feel free to be very elaborate and descriptive as long as you don't break the confines of did I roll enough to reduce damage? Yes or no. Everything else is open to interpretation. Yeah, I think one or two times letting your players do that and like really encouraging them, like they like, oh no, no, you can like do more. Like you can like encouraging them to do that, and then they'll get it. They will then take that and just run with it and create some really cool, evocative scenes. For me, what I've done to create more cinematic combat. All right, this is something that only recently we're talking like the last six months, and it is changed my games and i post on our discord when this happened it was in an episode of ghosts of salt marsh where basically we were doing a ship combat and there was all this the all this like an armada of ships and the whole point of this combat was i was like i don't want people just on one ship i want people like moving around and but i'm like but do they need a rowboat like movement these ships are hundreds of yards away what is this gonna look like so what I decided to do was like, I'm going to try this out. And this is total homebrew. And this was for Dungeons and Dragons. I want to talk about how it works with other systems too. Was I told my players, we're going to do a, what I called cinematic mode. I was like, we have no, we have no movement rules at all. If you want to be somewhere, you are there and you tell me how you got there. And it sped, for two things, it sped the game up incredibly fast because we weren't worried about movement. And my players just said, oh, now I'm on this boat. And my players, it's not like they're just like, oh, I'm on this boat. Now I'm over here. It's like they weren't doing that. Everybody kind of had a, we all kind of knew we had this social contract as far as what our story is going to be. But that then allowed my players to do cool things like, I'm going to be on this boat. And I was like, well, how'd you get over there? They're like, I put myself in the catapult and cut it and I got shot over there. And we just kind of, obviously there would be falling damage and all that kind of stuff. But anything that had to deal with movement, we were just like, let's get that out of our game. Like, and it just sped everything up. And it was, 
It was awesome. All right. With other systems, though, in Dungeons & Dragons, it's a that's very much a homebrewed kind of thing because there's so many mechanics that deal with movement and distance. There's other systems, though, that don't, such as, obviously, you got Star Wars or Legends of the Five Rings or any of the Fantasy Flight games. They deal with more with zones. So you have zones. It's super easy. Forbidden Lands, it's a very similar. It's, it's zones. It's like they're not worried about minutia. It's like, uh, are you close? Are you far? It's kind of like, so it's, it's a lot easier to do that. But I would encourage anybody, if, if you're looking for ways to like make your combat feel more alive, just try for a session or a combat or two. Just say, hey, there's no movement. If you want to run all the way across the other map to hit a goblin, like just just tell us how you got there. Really yeah. cool. So, because that's what it like, you yeah. think about any action movie, like so many of the cool things in the fight scenes are how the two people get together. Like I think about the Jason Bourne movies, them chasing each other over roofs and doing parkour and all this kind of stuff. Like that's, yeah. it's fun, but you can't really do that in the confines of the rules. So don't be have, afraid. Do, have you seen F9? I Did haven't see seen that? it yet. Okay. So there's a, there's a moment once you've seen it, uh, we can talk about it, but it's very much that, that it makes no sense, but let's say that in the world that we're in, it does make sense, right? That this thing, these two things are happening in parallel. Given that that is true, there's no way for those two things to have come together. But they do because they wanted the moment where the two things came together. So basically, F9 does not follow movement rules is what I'm saying. And you're right. It created a very cool moment if you just like try not to think too hard about, well, that's not actually how that would have happened. Uh, But but yeah, we're not going for realism. We're going for fun. Yeah. And, you know, if for you fun is super realism, great. Then nothing we've said probably means anything to you. But we're not wrong. You're just different. Yep. And then if you're trying to create a game or a world or situation that feels very cinematic, then maybe the easiest way, if not the right way, is to let be a little loosey-goosey with some of those rules like movement. If you want to, like, if you would have said, if a player said, okay, I need to get to that ship, how can I get there? And you're like, well... I, I don't know. There really isn't any way. That just is terrible. Yeah. Then the, maybe they say, okay, well, I want to get in the catapult. Okay, well, you have to get in the catapult. That takes this much movement. Then you got to fire it yourself. And then we roll the die. Oh, you you overshot. So now you're just in the ocean. You're out of the battle for the rest of the game. That's not fun. So by bypassing that, you got this moment where a character's like, I got to get in the catapult and shoot myself over there. That's amazing. And then you – I just think that's brilliant. Just say – because you didn't get rid of all the rules. You just said there's no movement rules. Yeah, exactly. We said... And I think that was great. Yeah, and it was super fun. It was basically like, what I did was I looked at what is the end goal here. The end goal is for this player to fight this pirate, all right? And the stuff in between, let's just make it cool. It's not adding to the end goal. He wants to get over there. Um, let him get over there and let him say how he got over there then it was just it was yep. still it's i mean we still talk about it. it was one of the the coolest scenes and now we're doing a very similar in our last session basically i threw a th- I threw a throne room scene in there and then now we're starting this next scene where basically like two people two players and then this vampire went out the window and now they're in some combat yard because it's just kind of like that's what we wanted to do so i would definitely encourage people just try a few different things definitely Try just eliminating movement just to see how it works for you. So, no, that's a tip. Uh, Anyway, those, yeah, those were the two things you talked about. Uh, Memorable RPGs and then uh, how to use descriptive language at the table. Well, well, one thing I just maybe hit here. um, I remember one thing specific, and I don't know if it was this episode, but we we talked about it at some point where 
I was trying to set up like almost like a gotcha, not a gotcha moment. It's like a like a jump scare moment. And because I was trying to do that, I wanted the sudden reveal of this monster to be startling to the characters and to the players. And so by trying to get the moment, I sped through the description of it. It just shows. Oh up. yeah, yes, yep. I do remember that. And that's the part, with Evan, because. Because I remember there was a part where I, there was like the spider that they were fighting. There was like this weird zombie mutated spider. And I spent a lot of time and really, really pulled the taffy on that one. And they all loved that description. And it was actually really, really good. And then like the next combat was like against a giant, like a giant snake, like like a Godzilla level snake. And it was like, hi. And so it was terrible. And it was just, it didn't mean anything. And I think what I had learned from that is... I'm never going to be able to get a gotcha moment like that or a, a, a surprise jump scare moment. So don't try and spend more time doing other things. And the dramatic irony of them finding like the shed skin of a Godzilla level snake, knowing they still have to go through the forest and it could be inside there at any moment is much more, much more effective at trying to instill this dread then to, ha, ah, there's a snake, and now we're on initiative. And it just, it lost all the narrative power by trying to get something that I personally just am not capable of doing, but I am capable of doing other things to slowly bring out the idea that it could happen and let that be the, the fun, shocking reveal is we're finally facing this thing we dreaded rather than this thing we didn't know existed is now here and now we're in combat. So for me, it was... It's, I've learned from that specific lesson to go one way than the other. Just it fits my talent better. I don't know if I'm saying it's universally better, but for me, it's better to do it that it's way. It's funny you bring that up because now I remember this because you only talked about it briefly on the episode because it turns out you and Evan started this episode by forgetting to hit the record button where you talked. You said you all said you recorded for 30 minutes before you forgot to hit the record button. So. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, so you gave yeah. only short details there, but yeah, no jump scares are jump scares are definitely tricky to to get that right feeling. So, anyway, right. lots of cool practical tips this week. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> so anyway, so thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please go check out the Catacon Kickstarter. Support it if you can't come. If you, you know, coming is great. Coming is what we want. But if you can't come, or if you're not sure if you're going to come, a small donation would would go a long way. Tom, as always, thank you so much for, for doing all the heavy lifting here and getting us back into these faculty meetings. I'm very excited. Uh, Grant, thank you as well for doing the DM Spotlight. I appreciate that. Just again, a reminder, use our links, support us, and support the creators. Um, any last things from you, Tom, before we go? Uh, nope. That, that's it. All right. Well, uh, tell people where they can find you if they want to go yell yeah. at you for your wrong, bad opinion. There you go. Uh, you can follow me at Bezcar Tom. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. And then, obviously, if you're looking to interact with us, with us even more uh shoot us a shoot us a message and we'll send you a link to our discord it's a fun place a lot of the games we're doing a lot of the action 12 cinema play tests are coming out of that group uh and it's a it's a ton of fun uh you can find me on the twitch monday through friday around two o'clock playing uh, old video games i'm currently playing through shining force though actually by the time this episode comes out i should have completed that game so i'm probably playing shining force 2 uh, every other week on Wednesdays, I host Detention Live, which is a loosey-goosey format talk show, which is a ton of fun. Uh, Rob Schwab is coming up as a recent guest, which actually, when this comes out, he might be the guest of that week, if I got my timing straight. Uh, the same week, same week of Detention on Tuesdays, I, I host a Shadow Spawn 13th Age game. 
And then on the other weeks, this week, I'm recording, not the week you're listening to this, I'm now playing in a 5th edition game on, of Eberron Ooh, on the Cthulhu uh, Twitch feed and YouTube channel. So that's all that stuff for me. And you can come yell at me about my wrong or bad opinions at the RPG Academy. So thanks. But before we go, I have to remember to say, if you're having fun. You're doing it right. Doing it right. Thanks. See you next time. Alrighty. That was fun. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.